Father, we help us to understand wisdom's mystery. Help us to understand Emmanuel, God with us. I pray right now that you will, that your spirit would rest on us. For some, that you would give a fresh revelation of who you are. For others, God, I pray that you would just draw us into a closer relationship with you. For others, God, maybe we just need to consider the claims of Christ. So, Father, no matter where we're at in our walk with you, our direction, may we know that you're with us. I pray that you will you will shine your light on us. Show us exactly where we're at and, where we're, and then where we need to be. Thank you, Father. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you that he entered into our time and our space and he became Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Well, good morning. The whole, the whole um, topic today is, is on that one word, Emmanuel, God with us. We're going to spend the whole day talking about just that one word. And the, the irony is it's only in the Bible three times. Isaiah mentions it a couple of times and then in Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and read one instance where it, where it comes up. Matthew chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her uh, to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife. They got married. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, which means God with us. So the book of Matthew, why do I want to focus on this word Emmanuel? Because it is, it's full. It's packed full of stuff. The very fact that, uh, well, some people say, okay, Jesus really wasn't God. He was a good teacher. And where in the Bible does it say that Jesus is God? Well, Matthew opens up and just comes right out and says it. He says, he's Emmanuel. Emmanuel, the definition, again, God with us. Jesus is God. I mean, this is a, this is a truth that we have to, have to come to terms with. We have to, on your outline, we have to understand God in relation to Jesus. We have to understand that Jesus is God. Again, it opens up here, but throughout the whole rest of the New Testament, over and over and over again, if it's not Jesus saying it, if it's not Paul saying it, if it's not Peter saying it, they all say Jesus is God in the flesh. 
And that, that very claim that Jesus made, that's what, that's what put him on the cross, that claim. And it might not be that big of a deal to us because we're so infused with different types of thoughts and different types of thinking that, you know, well, okay, God, Jesus is God. Okay, maybe I can go there because, you know, I've got this new age way of thinking. Or we, we have, you know, the pantheists believe that God is in everything. You know, God's in the tree. I've got a little bit of God in me. You've got a little bit of God in you. And so to, under, to, to think that uh, Jesus is God, to make that kind of claim, okay, I can kind of go there because I, I'm a pantheist or I'm a new ager or I'm even a polytheist, meaning that there's a number of different gods. You know, Zeus, Apollo, you know, they, you know, in Rome, they thought that, they thought Paul was a, was a, he was wearing, you know, he was, he was like you know, Apollo. They, they, they thought that he was one of the gods that just came into the flesh for a second. But not the first century Jew. The first century Jew was a monotheist. There's one God, and that God is eternal. He, he, he is, he's been in existence forever. He, he's not a created being. And he created everything. Our universe, every single galaxy, every single planet, he, 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 there is one God. No beginning, no end, infinite, all-knowing. And this is the God that the first century Jew worshipped. And for them to, to wrestle with this, with this term of Emmanuel was a big deal. It was, it was, it was a big deal. And so it actually, it actually lends more validity to the scriptures of them being valid because first century Jews wouldn't dedicate their life to something like that. That's madness. So we have, we have this, this God with us and we have, to, we have to come to terms with it. We have to understand that Jesus is God. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything came into being through him, through Jesus, through the Logos, meaning Jesus created everything. Everything Jesus created. You, me, cells, the planets, the atmosphere, the universe, everything, Jesus created it. So we have to come to terms with that. It's difficult. It's a stumbling block for many. Once you get them past the, you know, the, the pantheist view that you know, Jesus just housed some type of a God force, he was somehow able to, to have this connection with the divine and functioned in that. Once we get you past that, you have to struggle with the truth that Jesus said about himself, that he is God in the flesh. Whenever there's an eclipse, you know, you can't look at the sun full force because it will, you know, it will burn your eyeballs out. So you have to get the little box, the little pinhole box. So that's what Jesus is. We get to see God through that pinhole of Jesus, of humanity. That's how we get to experience him. It's an amazing, amazing thing. We're lucky to have that experience. So that's the first thing that we have to do. We have to just come to the terms that Jesus is God. One of the interesting things about Jesus is you, you see him modeling humility. 
So he, he, you know, he serves the, the poor. He feeds the poor. He washes his disciples' feet. He, he, he expresses humility. He actually took on, God took on human form, which is a humbling act in and of itself. Whenever people come in contact with angelic beings in the Bible or powerful angels, they, they, they hit the ground. They worship this angel. Every time that happens, the angel says, don't be afraid, get up, don't worship me. Don't worship me, because I'm, I'm like you in a way. I mean, I'm, I'm a different type of creature, but we're, we're brothers and sisters in a way, because I too am a creation, because God created me, therefore don't worship me. So even though Jesus' whole life was, was, was explaining this humility, Whenever somebody hit the ground, whenever somebody had this revelation of who he was and kneeled and worshipped him, whether it was a sinful woman or Thomas or Peter, whenever they, they, they began to worship him, does, what does Jesus do? He receives it. He doesn't say, oh, no, don't do that. I'm way too humble for you to worship me. He actually receives the worship. Very radical at that time crazy to think about it. We really understand the first century Jewish mindset. Second thing, so we have to come to the understanding that, that, that could be, not necessarily, but that could be the first step you take into a spiritual walk. You have to understand the person of Jesus. Second thing you have to do, which I, I, I get excited about, well, let me go back. Let me read your scripture in your bulletin real quick. This is a John 16, 9. Then uh, Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly without figure of speech. Now we can see, now we see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone, uh, anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Okay, so the disciples have come to this revelation that Jesus is who he says he is. Wow, this guy's God. You know what Jesus says? He says, oh, really? Finally you believe. He's, he's messing with them. He's not saying, oh, finally you believe. He's saying, you guys don't get it. You guys don't get it. Just believing that I'm who I say I am, just, just having the understanding that I'm God isn't good enough. So and he goes on to say, there's going to come a day when I'm not going to be around and bad things are going to happen to you. You're going to be scattered. You're going to, you're going to be tortured. You're going to be, you're going to be blown away. And you're going to forsake me. So the understanding that Jesus is God isn't good enough. There's more. There's more to your spiritual walk than you having a, an intellectual understanding of who Jesus is. The, the Christian faith, understanding Jesus, isn't about knowing about God. It's about knowing God. We can know about God, but it doesn't mean that we know God. Okay, the next major step that we have, to, we have to do is we have to experience God. I, I get excited about this because faith needs to be experiential. You need to, you gotta, you gotta experience God in your life. You gotta experience breakthrough. You gotta experience answered prayer. You've gotta, you gotta have 
you got to have a religious experience sooner or later in your life. Uh, most, almost everybody has. Most everybody has had a religious experience where, you know, all of a sudden things were, were just opened up to you. And it's so vital to have this experience. Uh, Martin Luther, the, you know, the, the great pastor, theologian, Reformation, he, uh, he knew all kinds of things about God. He was a pastor. He was a professor in a seminary, and he taught on Romans. He dedicated his entire life to it. So he knew all kinds of great things about God, but he never knew God. He wasn't a Christian. He taught at the seminary, but he wasn't a Christian. One day he was reading Romans, something that he had studied years of, and he just gets this revelation, and he explains it as all of a sudden, I was taken up into paradise. And for the very first time, I had this experience of God in my life. And it wasn't until then that he began to take this walk with Jesus. And he realized that he was solely saved by grace. You see, he, he had to have the experience. Knowledge wasn't enough. You know, connecting the dots wasn't enough. And we, get, we fall into this trap. Okay, I finally understand God. I, 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 I get it. I, I have some type of understanding of the Trinity. It doesn't mean that you've experienced it. It does not mean that you experienced it. So God is calling us into an experiential faith. We've got we to get it into our very being. Okay? Here's the difficult part. That's not good enough either. Just experiencing God isn't, isn't good enough. It, it's, it's only part of the picture. One of the ways that we can experience God is, is through nature. Right? You experience God when you, when, you, when you get alone and you're in nature and you, know, you, you see the waterfall or it's at night and you see all the stars lighting up the sky and it's just the, the quiet and the still. It just... It, it moves you, and God can communicate to you through nature. You can, have, you can have a religious experience just by being in nature. Did you guys know that? And a lot of people have. But it's, it's nonverbal communication. It's God communicating to us through his creation, but it's nonverbal. It doesn't have any real teeth to it, a real bite to it, or any real direction. You just know that God is there. You've experienced it. it for example, I, my wife communicates to me non-verbally sometimes. Okay? <laughs> I'm just embarrassing. All right? She, she communicates to me non-verbally. And I can pick up on those cues. But I have no idea that what she really wants for me to do is to take out the trash. She hasn't communicated that to me verbally. But I, I can experience something here. I'm experiencing something. Does that, that make sense? Totally. So, so totally. Oh, okay, we're going to talk about marriage in a couple of weeks. And, you know. See, you come to church, and you, you have a great worship experience. It makes you cry. You've experienced the presence of God. 
it's where we need to be. But there, there's more. And actually, it's, it's not enough. Having a religious experience isn't enough. Because it, again, it's, it's, it's a nonverbal form of communication. And one of the way too many times, you, you see people that have these religious experiences where it's, it's amazing. It's like, uh, it's, they're taken to another level. They're, they're enlightened on some level, okay? Life changes for a moment. And then they just go along with their regular old life and it doesn't, there, nothing seems to sit, stick or nothing seems to change. See, we've been, whenever we get a religious experience, it's a gift. It, it's usually an unexpected gift where God just shows up and rocks your world for a second. And you're just, you're just trying to figure out what's going on. You, did, that is, you didn't earn that experience. It, it happened to you. You didn't happen to it. You didn't happen to God. God happened to you. He's, uh, he's expressing himself to you. This is, this is a good thing. It's, it's, it's vital to the Christian walk. Moses, Moses had some of the most intense experiences with God. Came to an understanding of who God was. And then he experienced God at the burning bush, the plagues, uh, the pillar of fire, um, the manna on the ground, water coming out of the rock, all this kind of stuff. Moses experienced God like no one else had ever done on the planet. And he does something that we don't do. This is why Moses was chosen to lead a million people. He was one out of a million. Because Moses said, God, this is really cool stuff, but it's not good enough. I want to see your face. I want a personal, intimate relationship with you. The fireworks are awesome, but I want, I want more. I want more. And God in his goodness says, all right, son, tell you what we're going to do. Uh, right now, unfortunately, we're, we're not in the New Testament, but I'm going to allow you to see my backside. I'm going to give you a New Testament revelation of my goodness. Puts Moses up on the cleft of the rock, and he gets to, he gets to see God's backside, or whatever that may be. I don't know. But the point is, is that he, he comes off this rock, and his face is, is lit. He, he has this relationship that, that's personal now. He, he, the Bible says that he even talked to God one-on-one -on -one as one talks with a friend. The experiences were something that, that happened to Moses and his life, but the relationship with God was something that Moses went after. It's something that he happened to do. He, he pushed his way into God's presence. He pushed his way into relationship with God. He happened to God. Um... Let me give a better illustration here. Um, I think the, like the last major concert that Mako and I went to was, was U2, and that was a long time ago. That kind of tells you that we just don't have a life anymore. But um, uh, so we went and saw U2. And, and I know a little bit about the band. I was a big fan in high school. And um, 
So I, you know, I, know, I know their history. I, I have knowledge about the band. And I've experienced their music. And I've experienced the concert. And it's good. It's like it does something to me. Wow, I, I can experience this. Doesn't mean I, I know Bono. Just because I've experienced Bono's music doesn't mean that I have a relationship with Bono, let alone that I'm in the band. This is what's so amazing about the Christian faith is that we, uh, we get to know the leader and we get to be a part of the band. But do you see, can you see the trap here? Do you, do you see what can happen? Because you know, we, we approach our faith and, you know, it's like, okay, I, I, I experienced the music. I bought the T-shirt. I've got the poster. And, and I'm going to build a little shrine to you too in, in my bedroom. Right? And I think that they're so cool that I want to be them. And, but what I'm really doing, it's a, it's a false relationship. It's a fake relationship. It's, it's, it's me and my imaginary friend, Bono. Do you, do you see the trap of religion that says, you don't have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You can just build a shrine to him instead. You can just buy the t-shirt and put the poster on the wall. And you can have this fake relationship. This is, um, this is the, the spiritual sirens of death for us in our walk with God. It sounds good. It's beautiful. It makes sense. And, and we, have to, we have to play our part and buy the t-shirt. And it, it's, it's beautiful to some extent. But by time that we see that these hot chicks, these, these sirens are now monsters. It's too late and they're eating us for lunch. We've been sucked into a lie that we've believed and we bought religion and not relationship. Oh, what Moses wouldn't do to be in our shoes. What would Moses do to have what we have? A personal relationship with Jesus. With Jesus. Pastor talked last week that he's, he is... Jesus is real in the flesh at the right hand of the Father. We can get in the Starship Enterprise and go visit him if we wanted to. That, that sounds really weird, I know. But that's, that's the idea. He's real. He is alive. He's living. He bears the marks of his crucifixion still and for eternity. So do you see where... You see the progression. We have to understand who God is. We have to experience God. Then, then we have to actually meet him. Right? We have to meet him. Not just know him in an understanding way. We have to know him in what we call the biblical sense, which is an intimate connection. We have to meet Jesus. Personal relationship. What does that look like for you? What does it look like? Oh, man. You know, I could, people have discussed this their entire lives. The, the greatest men and women of faith, they've, they've died with 
Emmanuel on their lips. The most important thing in the world is Emmanuel, God with us. So that personal relationship, the, the, the with us part of it. Here's what I believe. I believe it, it it's, doesn't change, but we change. And my personal relationship with Jesus uh, could be at a different place than, than you are. And usually when you get frustrated with your faith and you're trying to figure out, okay, where is God in all this? And how come I no longer can connect with God and I'm lost? You know, I was once excited about you and now I'm not. And as a matter of fact, I don't even like church or its people. So once we start getting into that area, we're, what's wrong? Well, we've lost our personal connection with God. And the Bible tells us that it can be expressed in different ways. We are, we're slaves. So sometimes your personal relationship with God means that you need to go back to being a slave. God calls us friends. I'll be transparent. This is where I'm at right now. Sometimes God calls us to be friends with him. Jesus, our brother. Sometimes he just needs to be our brother. Sometimes God needs to be our father. Some God, sometimes God needs just to be God, and we've forgotten the reverence for him. So how do you know which area that you're in? We can maybe talk about this next week. Well, if you're struggling with having friendships with the people that are in your church, maybe you need to be friends with God first. If everything is a flippant attitude and you just don't care and maybe you need to uh, have the fear of the Lord put back into you. Maybe you need to sit in awe of God's majesty. Maybe he needs to be God. And maybe you just need a father. Maybe you just need a brother. So that, that, those, those are the keys to a personal relationship with God. Those are the keys. And that's where we need to head. That's where we need to be directed. Why? Why is it all important? What, what is it with Emmanuel? Why, why is God with us? Why is that such a big deal? Why do, why do people dedicate their whole entire lives to this? Emmanuel is the meaning of Christmas, by the way. God with us. God wanting to meet us. We, we're, we're confused in our society. We think that the meaning of Christmas is peace on earth and goodwill to men. The Bible does say that. That's secondary. Primary purpose and function of Christmas is Emmanuel. God with us. God wants to meet you. That's the primary focus of Christmas. It's not peace on earth, goodwill to men. Jesus even said it himself. He said, you guys think that I came to bring peace. I didn't. I came to bring a sword. Other translation says I came to, do, to divide. What's Jesus saying? He's saying I'm not, you know, he's not crazy. He's saying, look, I'm God, and I'm drawing a line in the sand. And you will, if you want to be us, you have to cross the line. Okay, back to Emmanuel, God, right? With, so he wants to be with you, wants to get with you. The last part, us. Notice the word us. It doesn't say all. It's, it's a directive word. So... You know, people that like inclusiveness, this is, this is a problem, right? God wants, God is calling everyone. God is calling all to be part of us. 
But he's saying, you've got to cross that line. You've got to come over. You have to understand who I am. You have to have the experience of my presence. More importantly, you have to have personal relationship with me. You have to have it. There's a, there's a scripture. It's in your bulletins too. Ah, it's not in here. It's not in here. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll paraphrase. In Matthew, um, the disciples, uh, the disciples, Jesus is giving a parable, and he says, he says, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom. Not everybody that says, you know, God, you're, you're God, I have an understanding. Not everybody's going to enter my kingdom. And he says, um, he's, maybe I do have it. I need to read it. It's really good. Yeah, here we go. Seven, uh, chapter seven, Matthew chapter seven, 21, verse 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will plainly tell them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Okay, do you see what's going on here? Lord, Lord, so they're acknowledging who Jesus is. And we did these things. We performed miracles. We cast out demons. We healed the sick. We, we experienced you. Jesus says, it's not good enough. What are they doing here? What are they doing? What, my imagination on, on, the, on the wise men, and there wasn't three, there's probably a hundred or so. Okay? We, don't, we don't know how many wise men, but we have the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we got those three, so we think, okay, therefore there's three wise men. We don't know how many there were. Who does God come to? Who is the, the us that he's after? He's after everyone, but he, he runs the spectrum. The first people that he goes after are the shepherds, the poor. The, the stinky sheep people. I mean, it doesn't get any worse than that. You just, and he, he, they get to experience that whole angel scene. And then the other people that he goes after, the, the all that he wants to become us, are the astrologers. What? The intelligentsia, the smart people. And in my imagination, I see these guys in Babylon. That's where they're from, the Magi. And, um, or, or Iran, maybe. And they, they're, they're, just, they're pouring over their star charts and their, and their scrolls and their books and their mythologies. And they have an understanding of what's going on in the sky. And they argue with each other. And they bicker with each other. And they go over each other's dissertations. And then one day, it actually happens. And that supernova hits or whatever it was. We don't know what it was. But that star, the star of Bethlehem, it explodes. And then all of a sudden, they quit arguing about stuff. It's like if, I don't know, if December 21st really happened. I guess I couldn't, I couldn't make fun of them anymore. Now, could I? Because it would just take everything away. We couldn't argue about stuff anymore because it actually happened. Okay? So it actually happened for these guys, and they, they knew it. They could, they could see it coming. They might not have had the day right. They might not understand all the details. They probably didn't fully understand Messiah. 
but they, they knew enough that they needed to go. Okay, did they, what did they bring? They brought their treasure. Did they, did they bring their star charts? Did they, did they bring their, you know, their PhDs and their dissertations and all these things? You see, when we come to worship Jesus and we bring our stuff, our accomplishments, our, you know, our issues, our, well, I have had a, I've had a hard life or I've done all these great things for you, God. Um, there's, there's, there's a problem there. There's a, there's a major problem there. That's what, that's what these guys do. They said, Lord, Lord, didn't we perform miracles? What are you doing? You're bringing your stuff to, the God, to God. God, I've been a good little moral person, therefore you owe me. God, I, 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 did, I taught a lot of Bible study. I, 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 Lord, I taught junior high. You've got to let me in, okay? You, just, you see what I'm saying? So you, 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 you come to God as if he owes you something. And once we come to God, you know, with our stuff of accomplishments or, or justifications or rights or whatever it may be, and we say, God, you've got to let me in because you owe me, he'll turn you away. You can, you can, this is tough, isn't it? You can understand God, you can experience God, have religious experiences, but in order to have a relationship means that you, you, you've got to say, all right, we're going to do this personal relationship thing um, and for me to do that, I, have, I understand that you owe me nothing. That, in fact, I am I'm a shepherd at heart. I have nothing to offer you. My good deeds are not, the, the, no, that's not the sacrifice. My accomplishments or the good things that I did in your name, it's not, it's not, it's not what matters. We have to approach God in all humility, as if we owe him everything. He doesn't owe us a dang thing. We owe him everything. He's given us life. Can't come, can't come to God with your list of good deeds. It doesn't mean anything to him. What, what, what means something to him is you wanting to meet him. Here's the thing. This is the nativity. This is, this is, this is God entering into our time and space. The, you know, okay, you guys, you know the passion, right? Okay, maybe you saw the movie. Jesus dies on the cross, the pain, the agony, the horror of that whole thing. But actually, the passion starts there. The passion of the Christ starts at the nativity. Because Jesus, Logos, the word the second member of Trinity, Emmanuel, God, lived in heaven. Perfect peace, perfect community, perfect harmony. And at the nativity, he decides to enter into our time and space. It's not technically our time and space, it's his because he created it. So he, he comes to meet us in, in, a, in, a, in a world that he created right? He created this place. But this creation that he created has been twisted, perverted, distorted by the enemy of God. And so the pain, the passion of Christ happens when he enters into our humanity. Probably at, I haven't thought about this, but probably as what we call a fetus. 
probably at the conception is when the pain of our Savior starts because he takes on flesh. And so Jesus enters into his creation that has been wrecked by the devil and wrecked by us. And his entire life is one of, of pain and of, and of tragedy because he left perfect peace. He took creation's longest journey from earth, from heaven to earth. Just why? Why did he do it? He did it to meet you. He took the world, the, the, the universe's longest journey, the most painful experience that he had foreknowledge of what he was going to go through. He had to take on this, this physical form that's, that's decaying in a hostile, sinful environment that wants to kill him. He risked everything to meet you. Just to meet you to be Emmanuel, to be God with us. So the application, the take home. If he's doing all that just to meet you, what are you doing to meet him? The experience, the, the, you know, the, 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 the supernatural God experiences, that's free, right? But you meeting him, it's gonna cost you something. What could it be? Time? I don't know. Waking up a little bit early. Meeting him there. Spending time with God's family in a small group. Not forsaking the gathering. This is where we meet God. That's what it could cost. It's going to cost you something. It could cost you time. It could cost you money. It could cost you your entire life. The, the, the first century Jews, you, you better believe they struggled with this idea of God. His, whole, his own family. Goodness gracious. His own family had a struggle with the deity of Christ. But they believed. They believed so much that they died for it. They, they paid that type of a price. What type of a price are we willing to meet, to do, to, to give, to meet Jesus? You know, sometimes we got to claw and scratch our way to a personal relationship with God. It could cost you something. All right. If I could have the band and the could have come on up to the front. One more uh, note on that on the video. You know, as we were, I totally agree with Pastor on that video. Like, I don't know how many times I had to sit through that thing. And each and every single time, it did something to me. And occasionally, it caught me off guard. It's like, oh, you got to pull it together, Josh, you know. And you quit crying. And, um, but it's something that both pastor and I observed. We observed people that um, spaced out. They're just like, you know, they were just, you know, oh, yeah, like nice music. And then they, they you know, they'd, they'd watch the horse going by or the camel. You know, they'd just, they'd just kind of check out. The other big portion of people 
It's like they just honed in on that thing. It was like it was the word of God that was being spoken directly to them. And they, they were just fixated on it. And they were smiling when they were hearing it and when they were receiving that word from the nativity video. And wild horses couldn't tear them away from that view. Not even wild miniature donkeys jumping out of the pen could tear them away from it. And I think that's what I'm kind of getting at. Like, there was, a, there was a, a supernatural communication with God through that video. Like, people were getting it. Some people were not getting it. But God was speaking to them. And you could see them, in a sense, through their spirit, speaking back to God. You know the part when I read the Matthew 7 verse? Uh, I never knew you. You know, you did all these great things. I don't care about your accomplishments, but I never knew you. Like, you know me, that's great, but I can't know you unless I am inside of your heart. And so there's my question. Does, does God know you? Have you allowed God in so that he can know you? <coughs> that's, that's our responsibility. That's our privilege, I guess. If I could have the ushers to come on up to the front. God, uh, in the Old Testament, God is, is amazing. He just, we, you know, as Moses experienced him in, in many different ways, it's usually terrifying pillars of fire and smoke and the Shekinah glory in the temple scared everybody to death, right? That's how Jesus revealed himself to us. At the nativity, he's a baby. He's a baby. That, that to me is amazing. That's amazing. Father, we thank you for this day. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. I still don't fully understand it. Maybe I'll never fully understand it. But I pray that you would just give all of us that hunger that Moses had to desire a personal relationship with God, not just, not just the, the head knowledge and the experience. God, forgive us for building shrines in our bedrooms and for building shrines in our heart, for, for tricking ourselves into false relationship with you. God, I pray that we would repent from that attitude. God, right now I pray that you would reveal to the church where they're at in their spiritual walk, like where they're at in their relationship. How, how, how do we relate to you right now? Are you Jesus, my brother, or are you God, my father? Where do, where do I need the, the most help? God, help us to repent for doing good deeds and then giving them to you, expecting something in return. Forgive us for that attitude too. God, I pray that you would just bless this offering. God, help us to understand the true meaning of Christmas, which is you wanted to meet us. Thank you, Father.